For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. These are words that are probably pretty familiar to you if you grew up in church or if you have any exposure to Christianity. Often we would use these as a rallying cry for the church. So that we are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. These words can be found in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. And here Paul was writing to the church at Rome. And, and in the verse prior, in verse 15, he says, So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. He says, I am not ashamed. Well, the amazing thing here is that Rome would have been the epicenter of Christian persecution. Paul said that regardless of the cost, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, what he is also saying here is that what is revealed about God is God's righteousness through the gospel. God's righteousness is a very important aspect of God. God is holy. God is just. God is righteous. It's important for us to understand that. Now, here's the thing. Let me ask you this. Are you ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Many of you may say, no, I, I tell people about Jesus. I love to talk about Jesus. There are churches all across the country who will say, no, we're not ashamed. We talk about Jesus all the time. And that's great. And yet, I would argue that more and more churches, more and more people are becoming more ashamed of the gospel. And let me tell you, it's a certain aspect of the gospel that they're ashamed of. The immediate context following verse 16 and 17, and actually starts with the word for, tying it back. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he immediately says in verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Now just wait a minute. Maybe sitting there thinking, Zach, wait, 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 you're going to talk about the wrath of God? I'm absolutely going to talk about the wrath of God. And I'll tell you the reason why. Because the Bible talks about the wrath of God. I want to propose this to you. You cannot fully understand the love of God until you also recognize that He is holy, that He is just, that He is righteous, and that He is angry at a sinful world. God is angry at us for our rebellion. And the Bible is clear to say here, Paul is clear to say here in Romans, that God has revealed His wrath to us. And what's he say here at the end? Of verse 20, he says, So they are without excuse. Paul is saying that we, as mankind, are without excuse because God has revealed his wrath to us. It says that it's revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The idea of, being, of suppressing the truth here is in that they are actively pushing it down. God has written it on the hearts of man that he is who he says he is and that he exists. It's clear here in scripture. Psalms tells us the heavens declare the handiwork of God, right? So God has shown us who he is and we are without excuse. What that means is, I want you to get this, we are suppressing as, an, as 
as rebellious people, we suppress the truth and we are without excuse, which means when we stand before God, because I will tell you, we will all stand before God someday, we are without excuse. No matter what excuse, you can say, well, I was a good person. Well, I donated money to charity. Well, I helped feed the hungry. Well, I did this. He will say, depart from me, I never knew you. Says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Now stop for a second and think about our world today, our nation today. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. I mean, think about this. Our nation today thinks they know what is best. They do what is right in their own eyes. They are progressive. That's a word they like to use. They, they're progressive. They think they're wise, and yet they have become fools. And they've exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. And here's the thing. God's wrath has been revealed. And this is what God says next. This is what Paul says next. And Verse 24 says, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies amongst themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Now this phrase, God gave them up, sometimes you'll hear people say, well, God gave up on them. I will tell you that as long as... As long as there is a remnant of Christians anywhere, God has not given up on anybody. So if you think God's given up on the United States of America, you are wrong. What this means is he has given us over to the natural consequences of our sin. Think about it this way. Think about God removing his hand of blessing and saying, okay. I mean, think about, think about a child pulling and tugging on I don't know if you ever did this as a kid, but we used to do it. We'd fight over, say, a blanket, and you would pull and pull and pull, and, and the bigger child would finally allow the little child to have it. Right at the moment, they're pulling their hardest, and you would let go, and the other child would fall to the ground because they're putting all their weight and pressure into pulling away. That is what's happening here. God allows us to go down the path of our sin and suffer the natural consequences. So God has given them up. Now it says, we worship the creature rather than the creator. You may think, well, we don't really, in America, we don't really have idols and all that. Although you look at Hollywood and you see Grammys and Emmys and all the other little trophies of golden statues that they worship. We also worship celebrities or politicians. We worship athletes. We worship all these different things. But also we worship the environment. Now you may be like, wait a minute, Zach. Are you saying that we shouldn't take care of our environment? No, I absolutely believe in taking care of the environment because God has given it to us and we are to be stewards of it. What I'm saying is when you elevate the environment to the position that we have in our country, then you are worshiping it. And I will tell you, there's a, this is a rule of life. Whatever you worship, whatever you worship in your life will rule over you. Now think about that. It'll rule over you. And if the environment is your God, the environment is harsh. The environment is cruel. Fires, hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, pestilence, 
COVID-19. That is not a God that you want to worship. So God has given us up to the natural consequences of our sin because we have suppressed the truth of who he is. It goes on to say, For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. So God gave them up. This is the part where I probably will lose some people in the audience. Because you're going to say, oh, Zach, you're saying that homosexuality is wrong? No, what I am saying is the Bible says homosexuality is wrong. We sit here and we want to condone it. We want to embrace it. And then we also want to say that those who say that it's wrong are haters. But the reality is we're not haters. And I, going back to the, the child pulling and tugging aspect, if my four-year-old, if I am holding his hand and we are going and he wants to run out into the street and he's pulling against me as hard as he can, but I hold on and I say, no, I am not letting you go. I am not letting you go. That is danger over there. I don't want to let you go because I want you to be safe. Nobody would say that I hate my child. In fact, if, if my child was pulling so he could go out into a busy street and I let him go, every last one of you would tell me that I hate my child. But the reality is, is by holding on to him and doing what he does not want me to do, telling them him that what he is doing is dangerous, telling him that what he is doing is wrong, I actually am demonstrating an absolute love for my child. The thing is, a sin always brings pain. So as Christians, what we have to recognize is that we have to speak truth and we have to do it in love. Ephesians 4.15, speak truth in love. Peter says, be ready always to give an answer of the hope that lies within you. But, but, we always leave this part out, but do it with all gentleness and respect. We have to do it in love. By saying homosexuality is wrong, we are not hating other people. We are actually saying we love you, and we see the pain. We see the gender confusion. We see the STDs that come from this. We see, we see abortion. All the, the sexual sins that are prevalent in our culture have consequences, and we recognize that from the truth of God's Word. They'll label us a hater. But let me ask you, are you ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you ashamed to say that God is angry at mankind? Are you ashamed to call sin, sin? We cannot be ashamed. And it's not easy. Because it might mean people don't like you. But remember, Jesus said, The world hated me before it hated you. That's two, God gave them up. He says it one more time. He says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. So God gave them up to a debased or reprobate mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, 
faithless, heartless, ruthless. Listen to this list. If you cannot identify with at least one item on this list, you are deceiving yourself. Every last one of us is guilty of breaking something on this list. Every last one of us is guilty when we stand before God apart from Jesus Christ. And that, my friend, is why we as the church cannot be ashamed. Your co-workers, your neighbors, your friends, your family that do not know Christ are guilty when they stand before Him. Listen to that list again and think about our nation over the last year. How much of this have you seen in the news? How much have you seen in the media and how we talk to each other? They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parent, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Now listen to this last verse in chapter 1. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, they give approval to those who practice them. Now don't miss this. Not only do they do them, but they give approval to them. Does this sound familiar to you at all? See, it's not enough anymore to tolerate sin. You now have to condone sin. You now have to embrace sin. I was reading a news article once and it was this teenage girl who was complaining about the punishment and I read the punishment it was not harsh it was not unjust it was not unfair but this punishment that her parents had placed on her for violating a rule she was disobedient to her parents now I get it right your parents tell you to do something you don't want to do it you don't like it you're gonna complain about it you're gonna post it on social media and tell how unfair your parents are big whoop-de-doo cry me a river but listen what bothered me the most was not that she was complaining about it. That I expect it needs to be corrected, but I expect that. What blew my mind were the comments on people supporting her in her disobedience. In her disobedience. Not only do they do them, but they give approval to those who do them. I honed in on disobeying parents because there isn't one person who has never disobeyed their parents. There's not one person here who hasn't disobeyed some authority in their life. God calls it sin. We're going to call sin, sin. We're going to call wrong, wrong. We're going to call right, right. But this is what I don't want you to miss. What it says is that those who practice such things, don't miss this, deserve to die. It's a very small phrase here in Scripture, but it's very powerful. And quite honestly, it can be very, very scary when you think about it. We all deserve death because there is no one righteous, no, not one. We all deserve to die. I get asked, I've been asked several times in my life, Zach, if, if God is so good, if God is so loving, why does he let all these bad things happen to good people? The problem with that question is that it is the wrong question. When you actually recognize the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, the justness of God, and the fact that God is angry with mankind, and that we have rebelled against Him. Get that, right? It's rebellion. Now, our, our 
society loves a story of rebellion. Every, movies are just have rebellion written into them all over the place because we love it because we want it to be accepted. We want it to be the right thing. We want to rebel against God. But it says we deserve to die. So the real question is not why does a good God let bad things happen to good people because first off, there are no good people. The real question is this. If God is so holy and God is so just and he cannot stand the sight of sin in his presence and our righteousness, like Isaiah says, is like filthy rags to him. Filthy, putrid, gangrene-infected, pus-filled rags to him. That is the good works that we do apart from Jesus Christ. And we deserve to die. If that is true, then why are we allowed to take another breath? That's the question you have to ask. And the answer is very simple. It goes back to what I said at the beginning. You cannot understand the love of God until you understand the holiness of God, until you understand the righteousness of God, until you understand the justness of God, until you understand the anger of God. The answer to why God allows us to take another breath is simple. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So don't you see God is a God of love. Jesus died on the cross to pay your sin debt and to pay mine. To satisfy this wrath that I've been talking about. To satisfy the wrath of God that has been revealed to us. Jesus paid that price. So that when you and I stand before him, instead of our nasty, pus-filled, gangrene-infected rags to give to Christ, we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Christ and God does not see our sin anymore. He sees what Christ did on the cross. He sees that we have been bought by the blood of Christ. So let me, let me just say this. This should motivate you as a Christian to tell others. But if you do not know Christ, this is one more opportunity. Every breath that he gives you, every second that he lets you live, every minute, every day, moment of time that he lets you live is one more second and one more breath that he is giving you an opportunity to turn to him. That is his grace. That is his mercy. That is his love. And for you that are Christians listening to this, you need to understand that every minute you're alive, every breath that you take, every moment that you have on this earth is for one purpose, and that is to glorify God by making more disciples Right? Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. Teaching them. Right? Baptizing them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to observe all that he has commanded us. That is why we exist. That is the purpose of the church. Are you ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you ashamed to tell your co-workers? I want to let you know that you're not alone. I find myself scared, I find myself anxious, I find myself ashamed more often than I'd like to admit. That's part of the reason why I'm talking about this, to help motivate myself, not just you. We're in this together. But that's the question, are you ashamed?